ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Christopher Kimball, host of Milk Street Radio. If you'd like to change the way you cook and also think about food, please check out the Milk Street podcast. We travel around the world to find pizza in Tokyo, Egyptian food in Berlin, and Bhutanese farmers in Vermont. We speak to Jamie Oliver, Rachel Ray, Al Roker, Ina Garten, as well as Michael Twitty, Marcus Samuelson, and Alice Waters. And we'll introduce you to recipes that will change the way you cook, from bright pink Tottenham cake to Afghan dumplings to shoyu sugar steak, and that one is direct from Hawaii. It's a whole new world of food right here on Milk Street Radio. Please check us out on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts, or go to 177milkstreet.com. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com. Welcome back to the Books of the Year podcast with uh, the mainstay, I Never Leave, Matt Williams, and our new lead presenter, uh, Tom Bradby, different class, as he's now known. And uh, and our guest this week is Simon Mayo, uh, whose book, TikTok, uh, we talked, yes, hello, uh, we talked about uh, in our last episode, uh, excellent thriller, uh, make sure you're picking that up, uh, and, uh, and a real thriller, really worth your time. Uh, but we are now going to do our... Um, uh, much maligned Q&A, which, in which we probe Simon for his uh, knowledge of books. Uh, so I'm going to kick off. Um, the last book, Simon, you really, really enjoyed. And as you always emphasize to our guests, the second really is the key. So the last book you really, really enjoyed. What's interesting about this question is it was diff- I, none of these will come as a, a surprise to uh, listeners of this podcast because almost all the books I read, I read for the podcast. Um uh, oh, and yeah. I've interviewed, uh, the, you know, we, we, we've interviewed uh, the authors and uh, so, you know, so we get uh, some fantastic authors and some fantastic books. But I think the last book that I, I, I mean, apart from the Tom Bradby book, which obviously you just <laughs> need to sort of park for, for one moment. Um, Outrageous. I'm sure Tom will forgive me for that. But I, but I would say uh, I'm a huge fan of Michael Connolly and uh, he's been writing... I think he just got an award for being, writing fantastic crime books for 30 years. Anyway, but he, um, The Dark Hours, which was, I think it's his most recent... Anyway, it was the last one that I read. And um, so he, is, he writes in sort of in, in real time. So it's a, it's, it's, a, it's a Harry Bosch book, but Bosch has retired because uh, he ages his books and his characters... Uh, year by year. So he's he has another detective, uh, an LAPD detective called René Ballard. So it's a René Ballard, Harry Bosch book. And it starts on New Year's Eve with what he calls the traditional reign of lead, where everybody fires their guns into the air. And guess what? You know, it has, it's a really stupid idea because people get hurt when the bullets come down. Anyway, so it starts with the death at a street party at the same time as the traditional reign of lead, and then, but they quickly realised that actually this wasn't anything to do with the reign of lead, but it was a targeted shooting. Uh, so it's a case which has got to be, and it, it and it refers back to an old uh, case which Harry Bosch uh, looked at, 
They also have a, a pair of serial rapists called the Midnight Men who are out there uh, at the same time. But one of the things that I liked about it is that on the one hand, it's a traditional crime story being being fought by the outsider, who's now Harry Bosch, and the insider, who is René Ballard. But the LAPD department that they're working in, you just feel as though you spent, you've actually sat there and been with them. So this is a police department which is really affected by the defund the police um, campaign. It is a, a police department dominated by low morale and, and the pandemic is, is there front and centre. So it really feels like, um, like a thriller from now. And um, I thought it was, as most Michael Connolly books, I thought it was um, absolutely fantastic. I mean, it's René Ballard's book with Harry Bosch just contributing uh, as the outsider, but I thought, it was, I thought it was terrific. So I'd go for The Dark Hours by Michael Connolly. Well, I'm definitely going to put that on my reading list. Your favourite memoir or autobiography? Well, as my guess is, Tom, if we'd been in your house while you were um, while you're writing a book, that your bookcases will be uh, groaning under the res- the books that you've used for research to look up background and make sure you got the facts and uh, and all the stories absolutely correct. And through writing uh, TikTok, I've read I've read so many books about vaccinations and vaccinologists and pandemics uh, and epidemics um, that you would think I'm some kind of uh, wannabe GP. But the book I'm going to the book I'm going to mention, which uh, I hadn't thought of as a memoir, but uh, um, and it's not it's it's sort of is, but it's it's I'm adapting my own questions here. So this is a biography um, of a of a man who's actually mentioned in TikTok called Morris Hillman. The book is called Vaccinated, One Man's Quest to Defeat the World's Deadliest Diseases. I love these American titles where you go, okay, you know exactly what it's about because it's there on the front. It's by a guy called Paul Offit. Um, And it's this extraordinary book um, about Morris Hillman, who is essentially the father of modern vaccines. So... Um, he, his idea was what he wanted to do. What he wanted to do was to prevent every disease that attacked children. But this, he failed in that. But he is a man who, in the second half of the 20th century, was responsible for uh, the vaccines for mumps, measles, rubella, chickenpox, hepatitis A, hepatitis B, a bunch of others. But we don't know. We, I had never heard of Morris Hillman. Um, so. I started being interested in vaccines back in Mad Blood. There's a, uh, there's a smallpox outbreak uh, in, as there genuinely was in Dartmoor Prison, which, was kind of, which I kind of tied to Edward Jenner uh, coming up with the, the idea of injecting people with cowpox. So that's the beginning of the story of vaccinology. Um, but this man, Morris Hillman, was an absolute phenomenon. And there, was a, uh, there is a moment towards, I think it's, December 1999 and the Clintons uh, are they, they've got together a whole bunch of people like the defining figures of the last century uh, and they've they've asked these people to come up with an object which they're going to place into a, a time capsule Morris Hillman is one of these people um, and although nobody knew who he was and what he brings along is a block of clear plastic six inches long two inches high two inches deep, and in it are several small vials, and they're all the vials of the vaccines which he created. And he was an extraordinary man, and what this book 
highlights is the fact that vaccines have been controversial, not just as we know in the last two years, but ever since they've been around. Because the idea of injecting somebody with an illness obviously appears completely ludicrous. So they've obviously been controversial, and this book tells, tells that story and introduces you to a person who I knew nothing about, but now um, realise that actually he's shaped and reshaped our lives um, and anyone who's lived in the last 100 years. Fascinating. I had no idea about this guy. Um, I, I get a feeling I already know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Who is your, your favourite thriller writer? Tom Bradby uh, is a man. Oh, <laughs> oh, God. oh. <laughs> no. Okay. I, I mean, well, it, it, it's interesting this kind of definitions as because I haven't put Michael Connolly there because <clears throat> he's a he's. A, I mean, it's it's very different. It's very difficult. You know, crime crime thrillers are, thr are thrillers. So I'm not quite sure whether you. So just so I don't say Michael Connolly again, I am going to go back to last year, uh, the, our guest host from two years ago. The, 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 the Lee Child books were um, a literary phenomenon. I mean, and his creation of Jack Reacher was one of the great achievements of, uh, in books in our lifetime. Um, not only because... Well, actually, one of, one of the main reasons is that men and women both loved these, these books absolutely astonishing which i think we should pay more attention to but the uh, he managed to make the idea of the the wandering avenging angel bringing justice you know wherever everything else has failed um the the fact that he's a brit who who made small town america believable to everybody i mean he for all the world he is an american you know he writes small town america as well as stephen king does um when, and when you hear him talk Clearly, there's a little bit of an American accent, but he's still that guy who was sacked from Granada Television uh, with that fabulous revenge that he takes out uh, in his first book. But anyway, you know, and I think there was that thrill of, hey, you've got the new Jack Reacher. Uh, the sparseness of the prose, the thrill of the fight scenes, um, and the fact that he stayed with one character, that he didn't spill off and do other characters, that he didn't do a kid's version, whatever, you know. I thought that was... I thought that was great. So I'm still going to put Lee up there. You mentioned that your bookshelves have got a lot of research tomes on them, but what else would we see if we took a look? Uh, sh a shambles, Tom, an absolute, <laughs> an absolute chaotic shambles. Whenever we talk to people and they've got their shelves, you know, categorised by colour or author or, you know, whatever it is, thinking, wow, someone's got an awful lot of time uh, on their hands. So uh, I, there are a lot of books in the house. Um, downstairs, there, are, there is shelving, um, which go from floor to ceiling. Uh, but they are shoved in any, uh, anyhow. And um, my wife says, you know, we really need to get those organised. And we absolutely do. But, you know, I suspect they never will. I suspect they never will be. Uh, and occasionally you do a pruning session and then you... Then you you give away some books um, and then, you know, they fill up because the new books just keep on coming. So I, I'm afraid to say that the bookshelves in this house are a mess, but they are. But see, one of my favorite words to describe a book was a Victorian word called a sluttery, which describes um, yes. um, a, a, book, a, a room where there is chaos. But it's, um, it's a chaotic scenario out of which work is, is, is happening where art is being achieved. So it's not 
uh, a mess which is putting you off work. It's a mess which is generated by the work. So um, I'm looking around at a slightly shambolic room, but I think of it as a sluttery, uh, where even though it's slightly shambolic, <laughs> good work emerges in the end. <laughs> uh, right, we come to the question that uh, you and I, Simon, have had our qualms about in the past, but our producer, Ben, loves. So unaccountably, it remains in our Q&A. Uh, what is the book, Simon, that you would love to step inside of, even if it was just for a day? Ludicrous, isn't it? It's just one of those ludicrous <laughs> um, ludicrous questions. Uh, so I think this is all about world creation and... In, uh, and for my money, in children's books and YA books do this fantastically well. Um, Philip Reeve is one of the great world creators. His books, uh, Mortal Engines, uh, are extraordinary. Philip Pullman's His Dark Materials books, again, uh, just awe-inspiring. It's the, the size of the man's imagination. However, I'm going to give you... Uh, an answer which is a truthful answer and is an honest answer, but it's an honest, but it's an answer that might make people roll their eyes, because I think, in my lifetime, the greatest world creator is J.K. Rowling, and because of the age of my children, um, I have read the Harry Potter books uh, three times, uh, all of them, and I read them to each of the the kids and. Um, my eldest was just the right age when the first Harry Potter book came out. In fact, he came back and said, Dad, everyone's talking about this this book. And I wrote down the book that he was talking about and I went into the Waterstones, which was closest to the BBC, and I said, I'm trying to find... And I pulled out this piece of paper, read out the thing, <laughs> and he said, oh, and he kind of had heard of it, you know, and they had some copies, so I took it home. And having done the bedtime story for years... Um, and got fed up with how rubbish an awful lot of the books were. I think the world that, that she created, the playfulness that she had, the, her use of language um, was extraordinary. The terror, you know, the fact that she would absolutely go full-on terror, you know, the, there are some extraordinary scenes, terrifying scenes uh, in a lot of the Harry Potter books. And I think those, that, work of, that work of fiction over, over the seven books... That's what it was. Um, never, never to be repeated. You know, I don't think it's uh, like like the Beatles. Will the the phenomena that was the Beatles will never be repeated? I think those books that she created will never be repeated. So the idea of stepping in, you know, that stepping into the world um, that she created at Hogwarts, I think I'm tipping my hat to that just because I think she's the greatest world creator of of modern books, really, and so. I couldn't think of anywhere better just to spend a couple of hours and then bow out. Simon, I'm starting to see why you have to get up at five in the morning, but you definitely get the good dad award if you've read yeah. the whole Harry Potter canon uh, three times. Yeah. That is quite impressive. Uh, but moving on from a controversial question to a much less controversial one, I think uh, my favourite question, what is your favourite film adaptation of a book? Um, I... Okay, well, there's, there are two answers here. One is the correct answer, and the other is sort of like a personal favourite answer. So I think the correct answer is almost certainly Lord of the Rings, because, to, and this is the Peter Jackson adaptation. I did see the trailer for the new Amazon version, which I have to say looked creaky. 
beyond belief. And I was thinking they've made it look like a video game and looks horrendous. But anyway, let's assume that it's going to be good. You can't judge something on the trailer. I think what Peter Jack... I mean, obviously, obviously the books, the original Lord of the Rings books... Um, what, you know, what can you say? They kind of dominate, you know, what's your favourite book of all time? When you're doing those polls, Lord of the Rings still comes out uh, number one. But what Peter Jackson managed to do across his films was to turn it into a cinematic tour de force as well as it being a literary tour de force. And I think that was genuinely astonishing, the fact that the books produced movies that were that good. My... The second, the the, one, the person, my personal favourite would be um, Arrival. So I saw that movie before I read Story of Your Life by Ted Chang, American science fiction writer, which I read because Denis Villeneuve told me to. So there you go. That's why. That's why I read that. So it's an, it's a it's a very short it's a very short novel, Story of Your Life. But I think one of the reasons why I loved Arrival is that it's narrated. The book and the film is narrated by a linguist. Dr. Louise Banks, and it's addressed to her unborn daughter. And the hero of the tale and the hero of the movie are linguists. And I think in another life, I would like to have been a linguist, but my foreign languages aren't, just aren't good enough. Um, I love etymology. I like discussions about origin of words, as my children will tell you. They, they yawn every day. Oh, that's an interesting word. Get up from the table, look it up in my dictionary of etymology. Um, but when the aliens arrive, these heptapods this, with seven limbs, and she is trying to understand their language, and then she realises that their speech and their writing are completely unrelated. I just thought it was absolutely fascinating. So an extraordinary... Novella, I guess you'd call it, but um, a beautiful Denis Villeneuve film. Uh, I thought Arrival was fantastic, and the book is extraordinary. Absolutely right. Um, let's uh, one one final uh, question from the Q and A. Then, which idea in a book do you wish you'd come up with? And by idea, it can be a character, it can be a plot line, it can be a location, anything. What's what's the one thing that you've thought? Goodness me, I wish I'd come up with that. Well, I've kind of I've kind of made a reference to it already, but I think that single moment where you put the book down and thought, "Oh, okay, this is going to be interesting," goes back to Philip Pullman's *His Dark Materials* and the idea of people having demons and how the demon reflects your character and your personality, and um, the fact that that settles when you go past puberty, but before you get there. It changes into, you know, from, from a high-flying bird to a cockroach, you know. Um, and I thought that was such an extraordinary idea, which works over three vast tomes. That I think, you know, as a sing, I've just gone for that as a single idea, which gives the book so much energy and so many different directions to go to. Something that, I mean, I enjoyed, I enjoyed the version when it was adapted onto... Uh, TV recently the film didn't the film didn't work but I think the my only criticism of the TV version of his dark materials was that I thought there was more to be done with the demons um, because the demons are at the heart of his dark materials so I think that as as the singular idea where you you can actually as soon as you get to you can put the book down and just think about that for a while and then you have conversations about well what would your demon be and you know okay well that's that's a work of genius 
Simon, that's pretty much uh, wraps it up. Uh, all terrible gags aside, it's been a privilege to uh, have the chance to interview you about your writing, which I love, um, and to step into your legendary shoes as a broadcaster for a moment. Um, I'm going to stop before I start being too nice, but thank you very much for the privilege. Um, <laughs> thank you. Let's do it again sometime. Can I present news at 10? Yes, I'm thinking tonight. Um, I'm think. I mean, wouldn't be hard to do it better. Let's face it, as people quite regularly remind me on Twitter. So um, uh, feel free. I'll see you at nine. Just roll in, and we'll 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 put, we'll wheel you straight into the studio. Excellent, excellent, Tom. You're very kind. Matt, excellent stuff. You. Well done, Simon. And uh, TikTok by Simon Mayo. You can hear our interview with him on the same feed that you're listening to this one on. And of course, you can find his book in all decent bookstores. Uh, Simon Mayo, many thanks. Well, thanks. I was a difficult booking. You were very. <laughs> ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Dori Shafrier, and along with Kate Spencer, I host Forever 35, a podcast about the things we do to take care of ourselves. Join us every Wednesday with guests like author Phoebe Robinson, chef Samin Nosrat, actress Busy Phillips, and even former Secretary of State Madeleine Albright. On Mondays and Fridays, we have mini episodes where we answer listeners' questions on everyday problems like how useful a butt mask really is, how to deal with a petty friend, or how to relax after a long day. So join us Monday, Wednesday, and Friday on Forever 35, where we're not experts, but we are two friends who like to talk a lot about serums. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. <laughs>